Are we there? Many a man proclaims his own loyalty, but a faithful man who can find. And Larry, you are a faithful man. Amen? Praise God. Uh, my son Josh and his wife Tanya and the two kids are here today. Those were those beautiful, wonderful, good-looking kids that came up and hugged me and stuff. But Josh, why don't you raise your hand? He's got a two-week leave, and they decided to spend part of it with us, and uh, they got in like uh, 12 midnight, so they were, weren't here for the greeting of visitors. I'm sharing on a subject this morning that is dear to the heart of all of us. It's on obedience. Did anybody get convicted? <laughs> it's on obedience. And... Um, I want to look at the scriptures, and uh, what I've noted here is seven aspects of obedience from the scripture. And the first one is uh, obedience is the central issue of the word of God. Obedience is the central issue of the word of God from beginning to end. It is also the central issue of our Christian walk. This is an ongoing process. To hear God's voice and to be obedient to what he says. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. If you have your Bibles or your iPads or your telephones. I had an extremely interesting uh, experience in a Russian church. You know, you're in a Russian church and everything's kind of primitive. And my translator had this iPhone and she was translating from her iPhone. Genesis chapter 2, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. And you remember the story. With Eve partaking of the fruit and then giving it to Adam. And then the Lord comes. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 11, and the last part of that verse, he says, Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? You know, some of these things are interesting. I don't know about you, but I look at this. It's like God shows up and goes, Where are you, Adam? Like he didn't know. Or he asked the question, Have you eaten? When he knew. But actually, you know, this, this is here for us understand the complexity and the reality of what's going on. He asked, have you eaten of the tree, again, which I commanded you that you should not eat? It all started at the beginning of Scripture with the issue of obedience. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. 3.22, the results of this. Then the Lord said, behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put his hand out and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. It goes on to say that he actually was driven out. Through disobedience, we lost our place in paradise 
and access to the tree of life through disobedience. This is a side note. I sent this to uh, one of our missionaries that had served in uh, China. I got this little thing on Facebook. It basically said, if Adam and Eve were Chinese, we'd still be in the paradise because they would have eaten the snake. <laughs> it's a really good, it's a really good, and they're sitting there smiling eating the snake. But, okay, so through disobedience, we lost our place in paradise, access to the tree of life. But restoration came through one man's obedience. Romans chapter 5, verse 18. Romans chapter 5, verse 18 through 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. And then in Philippians 2, chapter 8, he, Jesus, humbled himself, became obedient Obedience was the issue of the Lord's life. He became obedient even to the point of death, death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. So the theme of obedience is carried through Scripture. At the beginning, then we see this with uh, Jesus, which is the uh, pivot point. And then in Revelations twenty-two fourteen, at the end... Revelations 22:14 it says this Blessed are those who do his commandments that they may have the right to the tree of life restoration the right to the tree of life through our ongoing obedience we are restored and given the right to partake of the tree of life Andrew Murray Uh, From the 1800s, a South African pastor, writer, and teacher who wrote many small books. Uh, I remember specifically in the early days of TCF and all my zeal and forthrightness, one of uh, the older elders' wives gave me one of uh, Andrew Murray's books. She slipped it to me, and she said, I think you need this, and and the title was Humility. (laughs) It was a good book. It was a little hardback. But he wrote different books, and he won't run on the blessings of obedience, which addresses some of these themes. And he said this, the whole redemption of Christ consists, think about this, the whole redemption of Christ consists of restoring obedience, of restoring obedience. Obedience is the central issue of the word of God from beginning to end. Number two. Our obedience has a long-lasting effect on others. Our obedience affects others. Now, you you can see this in your kids. Someone said, if you want to see yourself, look at your kids, because that's just magnified, both the good and the bad. But in Romans 5.19, again, it said, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. So the effect of, of the Lord's obedience was felt throughout history. But even as Jesus was obedient, so we are called to obedience. Even as Jesus' obedience caused many to be made righteous, so too our obedience will have far-reaching effects, not only on ourselves, but on our families, our extended families, our relationships, and also in the church itself. And as I read that, I thought particularly about leadership and those who are in ministry, uh, 
how we have a much greater responsibility in this area of obedience and how our obedience and disobedience affects uh, the church itself. Our actions have long-lasting effect. Uh, Look what the Lord said to Isaac in Genesis chapter 26. Genesis chapter 26, verse 2, starting with verse 2. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land which I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and your seed, all the nations of the earth, shall be blessed." then he says, why? Because Abraham, not Isaac, but Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Isaac received the blessing of Abraham's obedience. The blessing of Abraham's obedience. We are receiving the blessings and benefits of Abraham's obedience through Jesus as adopted sons. We are receiving that. Abraham's obedience had far-reaching effects even onto this generation. His obedience. Even so, God will honor our obedience, causing many to be made righteous. Number three, we learn obedience through that which we suffer. We learn obedience through suffering. And I I did a teaching uh, in December, actually, on this and touched on this point, but it's Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9. Though he, Jesus, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And then again in Philippians 2, 8, as we said, he became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Where is our obedience centered? You know, it talks a lot about the fear of the Lord, and, you know, we think uh, a lot of times we basically form our understanding or beliefs around experiences we have had, and, you know, we had fathers that were imperfect. Um, My father was was a wonderful man, but he had great expectations. It was hard to meet his expectations. This caused a lot of different things in my own life and insecurities, different things. You know, they do the best they can. But uh, what, is, what is the motivation? And I, I receive this word. We are to be obedient, not to appease an angry God, but we are to be obedient to please a loving God. And uh, you might want to write that down. That, that was good. That was me, but it was good. It was good. I was in a meeting with uh, Rick Renner, who's, who's a uh, pretty well-known international Bible teacher in Moscow. I was having a meeting. He'd do that all the time. He'd be preaching away, and all of a sudden he'd stop, and he'd say, that was really good. Write that down. Okay. We are obedient not to appease an angry God. We are obedient to please a loving God. So we need to have a paradigm shift there in our understanding. The whole issue of Jesus' life was one of obedience, even unto death. In John chapter 5, verse 19, it says, Then Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself, but what he sees the Father do. 
For whatever he does, the Son also does in like manner. Obedience to the Father. And there's a whole teaching about having such a communion with the Father and spending time alone and consistently with the Father that he was able to receive from the Father instruction. It, it goes on, actually, and says in John eight twenty-eight through 30, Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he. I do nothing of myself, but as the Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things which please him. This is our heart. This is our heart. He does what the Father does. He teaches and speaks what the Father speaks. Therefore, the Father has not left him alone because he please, he's pleasing to the Father through obedience. Jesus was pleasing to the Father. Therefore, the Father was always with him. Our fulfillment, and, and this is hard, because you know we're results-oriented. We get that feedback and that affirmation and, and really, our identity gets wrapped up in what we do, our work, in what we do. But our fulfillment should come not from seeing results, but rather from knowing that through our obedience, we are pleasing to the Father, that we are pleasing to the Father. In being obedient to God and pleasing the Father, sometimes you're going to get the opposite results you expected the opposite results you expected. We have to be prepared for that. We learn obedience through what we suffer. Number four, we work out our salvation. We are sanctified through obedience. Philippians 2, verse 12 through 13. This is really, really excellent. Therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He said, as you've obeyed, continue working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Now, we don't want to get into a thing of, 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 of a works issue. This isn't what it's talking about. Salvation is a gift. God gives us this gift of salvation, but then God works it in our lives through our obedience. He works that out through our obedience. Okay? Then it says at the very end, I thought this was really good, at the very end, it says God works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. So that means that as he works this obedience out in our lives, it is God working in us, giving us the desire and the ability to be obedient. So it's all God. But we have to cooperate. We have to cooperate. And it works it out. It works it out. 1 Peter 1, 22 through 23, in the New International Version, says this, very, very clear. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, that we are purified, we are sanctified through obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love of your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart, that releases uh, the love of God. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. So we are purified, 
made righteous, this, this righteousness of the Lord which is given through salvation, this is worked out. We are sanctified through obedience. Through obedience. Uh, I teach overseas uh, many of these uh, principles in seminaries and Bible schools. And, and the Lord showed me, you know, salvation consists of three things. Justification, sanctification, and glorification. You know, when we received Jesus, we were justified. Somebody said, justified never sinned. Just as I justified never sinned. Justified, we were justified. Okay, we were saved. And you can point to that. Then sanctification, we are being saved. We are being saved. Glorification, we will be saved. And it's a process. It starts with justification. Then there's this process of sanctification. Sanctification is where we live. That's where we live. And it will end when Jesus returns and we see him as he is and become as he is, which is a mystery. But when we see him fully, then we will become as he is. And it will be completed. But we are sanctified. We live in this place. We are sanctified through obeying the truth. Our salvation is worked out through our obedience. Number five, we abide in the presence of the Lord. And this is very practical. We abide in the presence of the Lord through obedience. Look at John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them. They throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you. This word word abide is pregnant with meaning. You know, the word abide means to live, to dwell, okay? Are the words dwelling, abiding, are they alive? Is it a present reality? Are you living in the word? Is the word living in you? You will ask what you desire, it shall be done for you. That's a complex verse because, you know, it it involves much more than it's showing. Basically, if the word is abiding in you and you are abiding in the word, then the Lord can guide you in your prayers. You can pray according to the will of God. That's another whole teaching. But it, it is a reality of abiding in the Lord and having his heart and his mind a desire for things that you pray about. It shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Then he gets down to the crux of the matter. Very practical. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. To abide in the Lord, we must abide in his love. To abide in his love, we must keep his commandments. We must be obedient to God's word as it is revealed to us. This is quite clear. Again, we are able to do this because it is God in us desiring to do it and giving us the ability to do it. Okay? 1 John 2, 24 through 25. Therefore, 
Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. We're talking about the teaching and ministry of the Word of God. To abide in his Word, it must dwell in you as a living spiritual reality. Boy, this has really been uh, driven home in my heart. I have just consistently looked for opportunities uh, for the ministry of the Word of God. We, we've tried to establish a habit in our home. Whenever we have a meal, before the meal, we read a portion of Scripture and think about it, talk about it. Then we pray, then we go into the meal. Very simple, okay? But you need to look for opportunities to create habits. Um, I was thinking one time about this word stronghold. You know, it talks about breaking strongholds. We always think of the word stronghold as being something evil. You know, and there's a whole process. I mean, basically, habits, habits continued become strongholds. And this can be bad. And we know that with our kids, with ourselves, we know that. But what about good habits? Good habits can become strongholds. And stronghold has a positive, uh, um, a positive definition. A stronghold is a place where you can go and hide and get protection. You know, a fortress, a stronghold. So we need to break evil strongholds. We need to establish strongholds, good strongholds in our lives and in our children's lives. And this is one of them, the ministry of the Word of God. The ministry of the Word of God. For the Word of God to be alive in us, we must be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Okay? We need to think about it, meditate on it, let it become part of us. Uh, James one twenty two. Uh, We won't read the whole thing. The first part says, But be doers of the word of God and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then it goes on in verse 25, towards the end. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it is obedient. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. This one will be blessed in what he does. There's a promise that this one will be blessed in what he does. So you have to be a doer of the word of God to be obedient to his word, to abide in the Lord's presence. And according to this scripture, it says, and you will be blessed in what you do. And that leads us uh, to the next point, number six. God blesses those who are obedient. He blesses those who are obedient. Look at Genesis 22, verse 16. Twenty-two, sixteen. By myself, by myself, I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son. And you know the story. And the Lord provided a ram in replacement, but he was willing to give up his own son. Your only son. Blessing, I will bless you. I really like that. Blessing, I will bless you. <laughs> it's like, you know, in like, like a double or maybe triple. And then in the last per, part of verse 18, it says, because you have obeyed my voice. Because you have obeyed my voice in blessing, I will bless you. This was God's promise to Abraham because of obedience. Look at Moses in Exodus, Exodus 19. Moses, Exodus 19, 
verse 5. Very clear. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be, I I like this term, you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. Isn't that beautiful? You shall be a special treasure to me above all my people if you obey my voice and keep my covenant. For all the nation is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. If indeed you obey my voice and keep my covenant. All this for obeying God's voice. Andrew Murray in the same book says this, Only by entering his will through obedience is it possible to be his people. God delights to dwell in the midst of his people's obedience. He crowns the obedient with favor and blessing. Obedience brings God's favor and blessing. Listen to what the Lord said to the children of Israel as they were about to enter Canaan after the 40 years in the wilderness, as they were about to enter. In Deuteronomy 11, 26 through 28, Behold, I set before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing, if you obey the commandments of your Lord, which I command you today. And the curse, if you do not obey the commandments of the Lord, your God. This is very clear. This is very clear. God blesses those who are obedient. Number seven, here's some grace. You're all going, oh, man, this is heavy word. Okay, just remember the part. I always go back to remember the part that it's got in us who not only desires but gives us the ability. Number seven, God can restore us when we are disobedient. Praise God. We are not to be surprised by our failures and shortcomings. The Lord has called us to walk by faith. It's an ongoing process. If we fail, we are to get up and keep moving. We are not to dwell on our failures. Forgetting those things that are behind, good or bad, we are not to dwell on our failures. Madame Goyon, a French Catholic mystic, 1600s, author of a book called When We Have Fallen, says this, the truly, and this is really clear, the truly humble soul is not surprised at defects or failings. I remember one time it was Fenlon said, we should be surprised we're not worse considering how far we've fallen. Okay? The truly humble soul is not surprised at defects or failings. The more miserable and wretched it beholds itself, the more doth it abandon itself unto God and press for a nearer and more intimate acquaintance with him that it may avail itself of his eternal strength. When we truly realize how weak, I love that word, how wretched we are, then we will be ever more dependent upon God and his grace. And nothing will surprise us, considering how far man has fallen. And that what is possible with one individual is possible with another. Uh, I said one time, I was talking to somebody about this, I said the only sin that is not forgiven or accepted is the sin that you have not committed. The sin that you have not committed. 
It was St. Augustine that said the sin of one man can be committed again by any other man. It's possible. And we need to realize this. Recognize how weak we are. God has made a way to restore us when we fail in obedience. 1 John, this is the redemptive verse, 1 John 7 through 9. As we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And I've taught on this before. The light clearly here is the word of God. It's a lamp onto our feet, a light onto our path. Uh, We should take heed to this light that is given, et cetera, et cetera. It's very, very clear. The word of God, obedience to the word of God. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When I'm in these um, Russian seminaries, I always say, all unrighteousness. What does all mean? You know, all absolute, kind of got to let it soak in. Nothing's too small, nothing's too big, all is all. I talk about absolute words, and this is one of them. Another one has said, he will never leave you. What does never mean? (laughs) You know, I mean, come up with something that isn't in never, okay? Or come up with something that isn't in all, okay? All unrighteousness. It is an ongoing process. We all struggle with this issue of obedience. We do. We have these, you know, and usually it's, it tends to be in the same areas. And it's like, dear God, I've been here before. I know. You know. We struggle. Psalm 37.24. 37.24 says, Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. These are promises. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. God is with you in the midst of this. He has not abandoned you. This one I really like. Proverbs 24, 16. For the righteous man, now this isn't the fool, this is the righteous man. The righteous man may fall seven times and rise again. And this number seven is that number of, you know, ongoing. It's like when Jesus seven times 70, you know, it's one of these things that, you know, he's basically kind of letting it out. You may fall seven times, and you will rise again. We used to have a thing at the Jesus Inn. Uh, we were struggling people coming out of drugs and all the stuff, you know. And, and we used to have this thing. It isn't how many times you fall. It's how fast you get up. It's how fast you get up. When we fall, we need to get up and keep moving. Uh, there was another quote by Madame Goyon which says that the remorse, human remorse, and all that crap that comes in uh, to, to, to limit you when you fall is worse than the sin itself, has a harder effect on you than the sin itself. That ungodly grief, like, like you're surprised that you're a sinner, you know? And, and, and we let that come in, that we need to quickly uh, rise up and keep moving. Through repentance, God will restore us and cause us to make progress in our quest for true obedience. God can restore us when we're disobedient. So what are these seven aspects? Number one, obedience is the central issue of the word of God from beginning to end. 
Number two, our obedience has a long-lasting effect on others. <clears throat> Excuse me. Number three, we learn obedience through what we suffer. Number four, we work out our salvation. We are sanctified and purified through obedience. Number five, we abide. I like this one. We abide in the Lord through obedience. Six, God blesses those who are obedient. And seven, God can restore us when we're disobedient. In regard to abiding in the Lord through obedience, another thing I find out is that as we are more and more obedient to the Lord, it is easier for him to communicate with us because he's abiding with us, meaning we can hear his voice. Every act of obedience causes his voice to become more clear in our lives. Obedience is also the central issue of the Christian walk, to hear God's voice and then to obey what he says. God is attempting to restore obedience to his children. Let me finish by sharing with you a prophetic word that's been working on me all this week, just just working on me as I went over this message, okay? Trust and obey. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Let's sing that, could we? Trust and obey. Think about it. There is no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Amen.